Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. We're not going to get as far tonight as I was thinking that we're going to get to, not as much into the things with the angels, but we will finish off these first couple of verses here. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. We talked about that last week, how uh, the Son is the one that we hear things through. It used to be the prophets. Now he has spoken to us. We talked about how he made all things, made the worlds. In, his, in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Now he made all things through his deity. Through his deed he created all things. But it is only as in his humanity that he can inherit all things. Now here's the setting as to what he has uh, put forth here for us. Through the deity of Christ, before time began, before the worlds were here, and God was in existence, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all three. Before anything was here, they were here and have always existed. And then all things were created by the Son. Now, it's, if, if you have an inheritance, say that uh, so you're, you're a family like the Rockefellers. And the Rockefellers have a big inheritance. Well, the reason they have a big inheritance was because there was one particular Rockefeller who came up and made a lot of, of money through the different uh, businesses that he had. I think oil was, was one of them or, or all the different businesses that were there. He had, had quite a bit that, that he had earned. DuPont, another big name around here, uh, was another one. Uh, lots of money came in. It was one particular person who brought most of that money in and took it from nothing all the way up to uh, a huge, huge amount. And then the people after that became heirs. But they became heirs of what was created by one person generally. Now the Rockefellers did it. If you've ever heard their, their history, if, if once you hit a certain age, you got kicked out. And I don't know if they still do it, but I know that uh, the original one, he did it when they were, they were young. You didn't just live off the family fortune. You got kicked out. You had to go out there and make a living and uh, manage uh, on your own for a little bit. And then they bring you back in to enjoy the family fortune. But you had to learn how to, you had to learn the value of a dollar first. And so that was something that they did to make sure that the wealth was not squandered by those who, did, who had not earned it. So when you have an inheritance, you have generally one person in the family who earned all of that, made this huge nest egg, and then people lived off of that for, uh, they kept inheriting it. And so you had the Rockefellers who still have quite a fortune, and uh, people that come after them inherit that wealth, and uh, you can name other, other ones that are like that. Here with this is Jesus Christ, as his de- in his deity state, created all things. Now, if he created all things, just like Rockefeller, Rockefeller himself, the original Rockefeller, cannot inherit his estate. Because? Because it's his. He can't inherit what is already his. You inherit what isn't yours. So here Jesus Christ created all things, but then it talks about him becoming an heir. So how does he who created all things become an heir of all things. Well, the reason for it is that as is in his deity, he was the creator of all things. In his humanity, he became the heir. 
And so there's a separation there. He's deity and he's humanity. Has in his last day spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Heir, he is, all things that were created were created by Christ. And now Christ can inherit all things, but he inherits it through the name Jesus. We have Jesus Christ. One part about his humanity, one part about his deity. So he made all the worlds, he made all these things, but then he also became the heir of these things. And that's how he did it. He came to the earth and he became man. So through his humanity, he becomes the heir. Through his deity, he is the creator. But now we got them all in one package. Now see, that hasn't happened before. J.D. Rockefeller didn't inherit his kingdom. <laughs> uh, DuPont didn't inherit the, all the stuff that they, they made. They, they, they didn't have to inherit it. It was theirs. Now, it was once... I mean, he created it. But as far as the things that were down here in the earth, when he created Adam, he gave to Adam some of the things that he had had. And we talk about it, the uh, lease that is on the earth. That he was given authority over the earth. He was told to uh, subdue it. The earth was put into Adam's hands. So the devil comes along to steal that out of Adam's hands. And so what was given into Adam's hands was then taken out by Satan. So when Jesus comes to the earth, Satan offers it back to him. and says, here, I will give you what I stole from, from Adam. And Jesus turned them down. He says, no, I'm not going to take it that way. I'm not going to get that authority back. I'm not going to get that, uh, that Adam had all the different things. We don't need to go through all that. We probably don't even know all the things that God had given them. But all these things were given to Adam and the devil had them. So he becomes heir through his humanity because he lives down here on the earth, spends 33 and a half years down here, lives victorious in the earth, does not sin. He becomes the second Adam because as Adam was put on this earth without sin, Jesus Christ was put on this earth without sin. He didn't inherit this, the sin nature because he was not born of the man seed. He was born of the woman. And that was prophesied back in the book of Genesis. The seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. So as we said, those who create the fortune don't inherit it. It's theirs already. But God had given some of these things to, to Adam. There was not a reason for Jesus to become the Son of Man until sin entered into the world. Once sin entered into the world, now there was a reason for Jesus to leave his deity, to become a man so that he could come on the earth, win back what it was that Adam had lost and thereby also be able to take us out from sin. So eventually what was given to Adam would come back to God in the appointed time. There wasn't an appointed time for this to, to be done, but um, Jesus Christ came before that. So a, may, a way was made to get that before that is why we needed an heir to take back all the things that were taken. So what would happen was by Jesus Christ coming onto this earth, leaving his deity behind and became a man. He still was God, but he left his deity, put his deity part aside. He had to be victorious as a man. So he came down and lived as a man. He, he won that back. And so then he became an heir. So before it is time for Adam's lease, so as we call it, I don't know if the Bible calls it that way, but 
Adam's lease to run out. Before that time is done, Jesus became heir of all those things that Adam had lost. So if we become heirs with him, then all those things that Adam had, that Adam lost, we get to walk in again because Jesus inherited them back. So he was the creator of all these things, but then he became the heir of all these things. And as we come under Jesus and we become heirs, joint heirs with Jesus, then we take back all those things that Adam had. So what Adam had in the garden, we now have through the authority, through the name, through the inheritance of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> because he was willing to leave that part of being deity to take on humanity and to become heir of the very things that were his to begin with. Because all things that are here are created by him. But he had given them out. So now he's able to take them back. So that's why the, so much is in there about airship and who the heir was. Um, I put this in your outline. Until Jesus lived victorious on the earth, no one was qualified to take back what the devil stole. Jesus had to come down here and live victorious. So if the devil got him to fall like he got Adam to fall, then he wouldn't lose what it is that he had. Now, as it is, he hasn't lost all that he has. He only has lost what he has when it comes to the children of, of, of God. Because if we walk in that inheritance, then we can walk in that victory. But if he can keep people deceived and keep them out of walking in the inheritance, then he walks in victory over them. Because the only way that you can, you can um, get past this part of Satan having it and Jesus getting the inheritance, the only way you can get past this, this part of the devil having it, is to get in through the heirship of Jesus Christ. So he is an heir of the things that were his that he had given to Adam, and now they're ours because he inherited them. So that's where the victory from Satan comes from. We, we sing about it a lot, you know, we had the victory and all that sort of stuff, but we don't always understand all the things that were taken care of in, in this. Remember that question that Jesus asked to the Pharisees that no one ever answered? How does David say, how does David call him Lord when he's his son? Remember, nobody ever answered that? You can answer it right here in Hebrews and we'll get to that spot here a little bit. That's just something to, what is to come. So until the one who has the fortune dies, access by the heirs isn't a legal thing, is it? And if Rockefeller is, I think he's dead now, isn't he? <laughs> that particular one, I'm pretty sure he's, he's gone. So once he dies, then his estate is divided up according to his will. He writes out the will and he says, this one gets this much and this one gets this much. And he, he can do whatever he wants to with what he has. But until the time that he dies, there is no heir that can take advantage of it, that actually has ownership of those things. There may be an heir, there may be a named heir, but until he dies, he can take them out from being an heir. He can change the heirship that they have. But up until that time, he can gift whatever he wants to whomever he wants. So if he has an heir there, he can say, I want to give you this, and he can do so, but it's all still his. It becomes that person's when he gifts it to them. But it's a gift, it's not an inheritance. But once he dies, then the will is executed. And they have the executor of the will, and he stands up and says, this one's going to get this. And, and in the will, it is di dictated as to what each one is to get. 
and what they must do to receive it. Because when you write the will, you can write all this stuff out. You can say, all right, this one will get this, but not until they're 25. Not until they're such an age. And you can dictate all that. You can say this one can have this inheritance, but not until they finish college. Not until they uh, get a job and hold a job down for three. You can say anything that you want to. No one can put a restriction on you. Whatever you want to do in that will is perfectly legal. As far as I can, as far as I know, you can put any re- restriction on there. You don't get to take advantage of this until you get married. There are movies made about that sort of thing. They had to get married by a certain time in order to be able to take advantage of what was in the will. But you see, this, that's what the Word of God is. The Word of God is the will of God. Amen. He writes it out. He, and He stipulates in there what you have obtained in the inheritance and what you must do to access it. Amen. And He can write whatever He wants to write in there. Because <laughs> it's His will. It's the things that He inherited. He inherited. He did the work to build up that inheritance. So therefore, he can say whatever he wants. He can be unreasonable. He can be reasonable. No one can sit there and say, you can't do that. That's not nice. It's his will. It's his inheritance. It's his fortune that he has up there. So in the word of God, it says, if you do this, you have access to this. But see, sometimes we want to go through and say, well, I'm just going to have access to that because I want to. But you can't do that. You've got to follow what's in the, in the will of God. If you are going to act as an heir, then as an heir, you are empowered by the will that is left behind by the one who dies. So once he is death, no longer in this world, he is gone, then that inheritance comes to us. This is one of the reasons Jesus said, it's a good thing that I go. <laughs> it's a good thing that I go. If I go, well, first off, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. He's going to come and he's good. He's good. You're going to want to have him. And he's able to inhabit all of you. He's able to, to do this. Plus all the other things that are there that are, we have access to because of the inheritance. But he says, I got to go. I got to go. And he puts in his word what we must do. And so the New Testament is about what we must do to access the inheritance that Jesus Christ has won for us. As Christ, he created it. But as Jesus, he inherited it. And if we, as we come under Jesus, we become heirs with him, joint heirs with him. And all we have to do is whatever is in the word of God. But I can't make up my own thing. I can't come into the, into the room, the lawyer's out there reading the will, the executor of the will is there. And I can't get up there and say, well, I don't want to do what he said. I'd rather do this. Well, we can't do that. Because if you do that, the executor of the will is not going to, well, I'm not going to write the check. I'm not going to give you the keys. Whatever it might be that's, that's, that's in there. You don't get access to that just yet. But as an heir, you have access to all that the will decrees as long as you meet the qualifications. In the will, those people that have uh, access to it are named. And the Word of God tells us how we can be among those that are named. How do we become a joint heir. How do we become an heir? It tells us very clearly, this is what you got to do. If you do these things, if you become born again, come into the family of God, these things are available to you. As you mature, the Word of God says, now if you do this, this is available to you. 
But you've got to do those things. It's His will. It's His inheritance. So we've got to do the things that He says. But people come up with all kinds of ideas. Well, I think if I just do it this way, well, it don't matter if you think that. What's the Word of God say? That's the thing that's empowering you to get hold of the inheritance. So we've got to meet the stated expectations. I can't meet my expectations. I've got to meet the ones that are stated. Those expectations are those things the owner of the estate desires. Whatever the estate owner desires, whatever he desires, he puts in there and you've got to do it. Whatever it might be. Verse 3, Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty of on high. Now look at this. When He had Himself purged our sins. Who did it? He did Himself. himself. He did it Himself. He purged our sins. He purged our sins. Now, I, I put this in your outline. I think I had to knock out some of it, but Satan was not defeated by a superior God. He was not superior, defeated by Christ. He was defeated by Jesus. Jesus. He was not defeated by an equal, an angel. Because he was an angel. He was not defeated by an equal. He was defeated by one who was inferior, which was man. Because Jesus became a man. But it says he himself purged our sins. Now in Second Chronicles, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians five and twenty one. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus Christ, when he was on the cross, sin was put upon him. He had not sinned. But God the Father put our sin upon him. So it says that him who, he who knew no sin was made, uh, was made to be sin for us. And one more verse I want you to look at. Acts 2, verse 24. For whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it is not possible that he should be held by it. How is it not possible that he would be held by it? It's not possible because Jesus was not guilty of sin. He was free from it. He walked through life and did not sin. He took on our sins. So when he purged the sins of men, there was nothing left to hold him. And so it couldn't, couldn't keep him under his power anymore. Because the big problem that was put, the sin was on him, but it says he himself purged us from those things. He purged our sin. And so once that sin was purged, once it was taken, taken out of there was nothing left to hold him. In Isaiah 9, 6, it reads this way, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Nice Christmas verse, isn't it? You see that in a lot of Christmas cards, things like that. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The meaning behind that is, is, is quite striking. For unto us a child, the humanity of Jesus, is born. For unto us the humanity of Jesus, a child, is born. Unto us a son, his deity, is given. His humanity is born, but his deity could not be. You couldn't flip-flop that. You couldn't say, for unto us a child is given. Unto us a son is born. No, he is the son of God. And God's Son was 
given. His humanity was born. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Jesus came into the world the same way Adam did. So he was basically the second Adam. Jesus would not only be human, he would also be divine. So we have both things, both aspects. So Jesus, who was deity, and that's why, you know, he goes through this in this chapter saying that Jesus was superior to the angels. Well, of course he was. He was God. No, we're not talking about Christ being superior to the angels. We're talking about Jesus being superior to the angels. We're talking about Jesus in his humanity was made superior to the angels. He was at one point made lower than the angels, made into man. But he was eventually elevated to something beyond that. We'll get into to more of those things as we move along. Let's take a look at that question that Jesus asked. Matthew 22, verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare question him anymore. Now here's the reason that they couldn't do it. They, that they couldn't answer it. It's, it's, I mean, if you think about this, how many have ever thought about this question and tried to answer it yourself? Because why couldn't they answer this thing? We, try, we look at this thing and try and answer it. Well, we know what's he saying. Is the answer just too hard for us to grab hold of? No, the answer is not too hard for us to grab hold of. We can grab hold of the answer. In fact, most of us probably already know the answer. But the Pharisees could not answer him because they would have to embrace something in order to do that. And that's why I put it in your outline here. In order to answer the question, one must embrace the humanity and deity of Jesus Christ. If you embrace the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ, you could answer that question. It's a simple question. Well, simple. In his humanity, he was the son of David. In his deity, he was Lord. That's a piece of cake answer, isn't it? But you see, you see, they couldn't even answer a simple thing like that because they could not embrace the truth that was behind it. Many times, folks, we look at Bible questions and we think they have this super complex answer and they don't. All we have to do is embrace a truth that we haven't quite got hold of yet. Once we get a hold of that truth and we embrace that truth, we can see the answer. And the answer will be quite simple. But we have to get to that point, point where we can do it. I mean, even if, uh, even as time went on, I mean, Newton, sitting under the apple tree, supposedly, I guess that's how it uh, happened, I don't know, supposedly the apple came down, hit him on the head, and uh, I'm not sure how much truth there is that that might be true, but whatever it was, Newton began to think about gravity. Mm-hmm. Now, people have been surrounded with gravity all the time. No one really thought, I guess, too much about it or was able to put it together, but he was able to put together a lot of laws, a lot of things in the area of gravity and other places in science. In fact, some of it was so um, spellbinding that he was uh, demanded to, to renounce some, some of them because they couldn't accept it. See, there wasn't a consensus. <laughs> Science does not have consensus. Science has facts. And just because everybody agrees that these are the facts does not mean those facts are right. 
and Newton was going against the prevailing uh, opinion on many things in the area of gravity and, and other uh, aspects of science. And people couldn't embrace that. But once he was able to embrace a concept that no one else was able to embrace, then everything else kind of fell in line. Once we were able to embrace the concept that the earth wasn't flat, that the earth was round, we were able to see other things. Once we were able to embrace the concept that the earth was not the center of the universe, but the earth revolved around a sun, then other things made sense. Other things we could understand. But until we were able to embrace those concepts, that the sun was at the center of our our little uh, spot here with the nine planets, until we were able to embrace that that was the center and that we were one of nine planets rotating around the place, until we could embrace that, other things didn't make sense. We just accepted some of them and we had explanations for them, but you know, it's, just, it's, it's not quite making sense on it. But you know, we've heard the stories of you know, Christopher Columbus is going around the world and the men are ready to mutiny because they think they're going to fall off the... The, the edge, that they're going to come to the edge of that earth and then just go over in some big waterfall or something like that. <laughs> and uh, if you ever saw Christopher Columbus's logs, he wrote logs out there, and he says, uh, the Spirit of God just continues to beckon me to go on. He was following his spirit. He was a, he was a saved man. He was, he was a God-fearing man. And he followed what was in his spirit. And he faced many things, not just the uh, attitudes of his men, he faced many things. I heard uh, in his logs that a, um, what do they call the uh, twister when it's on the water, a water spout. A water spout was coming to the, to the boat and he actually stood on the boat and took authority over it. <laughs> I mean, these are in his logs. They don't publicize those in the, in the um, schools because they don't want you to think that Christopher Columbus is that kind of a guy. They'd rather promote him in another, another direction. But if you ever read Peter Marshall's book, he'll, he'll actually read for you the, the logs. He's a good one to, to read after. Peter Marshall has uh, A Light and the Glory and some other things that uh, I think there's a sequel to that one as well. But phenomenal history book. Find out some of the things that were, were going on. But we have to break out of some of those things that held us back. And once we were able to break that, once we were able to adopt something just so simple, that the sun was a center of, of what we have here. And the, the nine planets revolve around it. That our solar system is moving through a galaxy. Well, that blew some people away. And that we were one of many galaxies. Well, that would blow some people away again. I mean, how, what, do you, what do you mean? Other galaxies. How, how big is this? This place, and we keep finding out that the place is bigger and bigger, and you know, got the Hummel out there, taking pictures of stuff and shooting, shooting. And we're finding out there's there's even more out there than what we thought. And we thought there was a lot, and we're finding out there's even more out there than we we even thought. This is all stuff that God created. But you see, in the in the things with God, until we are able to embrace some of the simple truths and get rid of some of the things that we've held on to, we can't understand the principles that are out there. The Pharisees, Jesus was asking them this question and he knew they couldn't answer it because they knew they were not willing to admit to the deity and the humanity of David's son, Messiah. They weren't able to admit to that. 
And because of it, they couldn't answer the question. See, there are things in the Word of God we're not able to answer. We're not able to comprehend just yet because there's a simple truth that we haven't grabbed hold of. There's a simple truth we're not walking in. It's not just a matter of even understanding. It's sometimes a matter of what you walk in. You know, if you walk more in the things of love that the Word of God describes for us to walk in, if you have more of that walk of love, the mysteries of God will easily become understandable because of what you're walking in. When you walk in that love, you'll suddenly, oh, I can see this. I couldn't see this before. Now I can see this. Your walk has, a, has an effect on that. You think that just because you got angry at somebody that, that uh, you can forgive, ask forgiveness, and just move on. And that's all there is to it. And for to a degree, there that's true. But the more you keep walking in that anger, the more it keeps you on a different on a different level, and you can't quite move up to the to those other things. You think think of it this way: way back in uh, World War Two, World War Two, we had fighter planes. They were in the air, and in the beginning of World War Two, most of those fighter planes they were uh, uh, propeller propellers, and they were fighting. And uh, eventually, uh, somebody came up with the idea of jet propulsion. And so we could have jet engines on them. And so I think it was actually the Germans that were developing this first. And uh, if they had gotten it off the ground to the degree that they were trying to get it off the ground, can you imagine a jet plane coming up against a, a prop plane? I mean, you could do circles around them. And you wouldn't be able to catch up with them. And it just changes the, the whole thing. But in order to uh, embrace that concept, you have to let go that all planes need a propeller. And then they can work off of this just forcing air through. How, how, can, that, how can that happen? How can that, how can that be? We had to embrace all kinds of new ideas just to get a spaceship off the ground into the air. We had to let go of some things in order to embrace some of these others. See, folks, there's, there's some stuff that we've held on to in the Word of God, and it's holding us back. Because I think this is true, but it's not true. I just think it is. And I can still be a perfectly good Christian and be believing these things and be thinking these things, but God says there's another level you can get to. If you let go of that propeller technology and move into the jet technology, we can change some things. Do you know how scared people were of breaking the sound barrier? They didn't know what would happen. No one has ever done it before. What would happen if we are flying in the air and we break the sound barrier? Will the planes hold together? Would the person die? I mean, what would happen if you are going faster than the speed of sound? Now we've broken through that and we've, we've come to a place where well, that's just, of course that can happen. We've got Mach 1 and Mach 2 and uh, Mach 1, of course, is breaking the, the sound barrier. Mach 2 is that twice as the sound barrier. We have 3 and 4 and whatever else I guess we want to get to. Now that the whole concept is, we, and we can envision it, we just can't figure out how to get there. All right, we know how fast light travels. 
how do we get faster than light? And see, for, for, for us, how can you go faster than the light that is moving off of you just to show what's there? I mean, it's the only reason that I can see Ethel here or Gladys here is because of the light that is coming off of them. So if they are moving towards me, I know to get out of the way because of the light that is coming off their body. It tells me that their body is coming and if I don't move, they're going to run me over. <laughs> well, what happens if you're flying a plane at the speed of light and you're going faster than the light that is protruding from the plane comes off? How, how do you do that? Well, apparently it's possible because God does it all the time. They're back and forth from heaven to here and shoot around all kinds of places and so obviously it's possible we just can't figure out how to do it just yet you see in order to be able to do it you have to let go of some other things because some of these other things are holding you back you have to first of all be able to, to dream of these things we talked about this before but how many inventions do we have that Star Trek <laughs> not Star Wars Star Wars didn't invent nothing it was Star Trek that invented all these things. Mm-hmm. Star Trek was the one that called for all this stuff. Star Trek was the one that called for warp, the idea of thinking about flying in warp. You don't know what that is? You haven't watched the thing often enough. About engines that don't work on the same type of propulsion that we're thinking that engines ought to work off of. Then about wireless communication. About tablets. They came up with all these things way before we did about uh, replicators that would make food <laughs> for you. And all you had to do was speak to it. I mean, the, the stuff they came up with, we haven't invented all of them yet, but we've invented some of them. You had to first off get out there and to be thinking about it. You see, God is thinking way, of, way above us. That's why Jesus is able to come out with a question. Let me ask you a question. The Son of Man. Whose son is he? Well, he's the son of David. All right. He's the son of David. And how is it? And he begins to ask this question. Because he knows they cannot embrace the thought that would allow them to understand the answer. But you see, if, if all you did for the Pharisees, if all they did was embrace the thought that the son of man is both deity and humanity. The answer was simple. But they couldn't embrace that thought. What have you held on to that's keeping you from understanding Christ as your healer? Christ as your supplier? Christ as your answer? Too many times Christians are out there and we're seeing people, we're seeing the, the devil, we're seeing things as our opposition. How is it possible that a person or a thing or a devil can be your opposition when these verses of Scripture have told us that He who was the Creator of all things came up with a way to inherit all the things that He created so that he is the, both the creator and the heir of all things. If our God 
could come up with a solution to solve that, how much more can he come up with a solution to solve your little dilemma? (laughs) But we come to God and we say, oh God, oh, it's bad. Oh, it's bad. I'm trying to get ahead at work and, well... I got this one against me and I got this one against me and this boss doesn't like me and this policy and we say all these different things. We have to forget some stuff. We have to forget that Daniel, who was a foreigner, was moved up into the kingdom and the, all his, uh, all his uh, co-workers decided we needed to stop this guy because he's going to be over the top of the entire kingdom and they came up with a way to stop him. And God came up with a way to not only stop that from working, but killed all them. In one day. Because that's how good our God is. The reason most of the problems that we have seem so insurmountable and so fantastic and so great is because we are hanging on to something we think is truth. That God says, that's not truth. And if you let it go, I'll show you what is. If you let that go, I'll show you what is truth. I'll show you how you can get right past all that. If you can overcome the problem with Adam, where Adam had, as we call it, I always say that because I'm not saying that the Word of God says it. We call it the lease, the earth lease. As Adam had this time, He was able to come down here and take that authority back for those that are his, for those that are heirs with Jesus. If he can come up with a solution for that, don't you think he can come up with a solution for your work situation? Come up with a solution for your neighbor? Come up with a solution for your family? Whatever it might be, he can do it. Verse 4, having become so much better than the angels as he was by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. By inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Christ is the name that he had as the creator. That's his deity. By inheritance, he got a better name. That's his, that's his name that he has the inheritance through. What's the name he has the inheritance through? Jesus. Jesus is the name he has the inheritance through. He took a common name. It was not a special name. It was a common name. It was like for us, James or John. Just a common name. Lots of people have it. And he took a common name and he elevated it to a name above all names because of the inheritance that came to that name. Having become so much better than the angels as he was by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. You are my son. He was the son of God. Today I have begotten you that he has created or, or, or the child was born basically. But the name he inherited a, as he was, has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. It's the name of Jesus for which we go out and do things. We don't go out in the name of Christ. We don't go out there and say, Demon spirit, come out in the name of Christ. 
We don't say sickness and disease leave in the name of Christ. We say in the name of Jesus, the humanity, because the humanity is where the victory was obtained. The humanity is where the inheritance is received. The humanity is where the victory over the enemy was, was brought about. So it's through the name of Jesus. So even so much so that the disciples, Jesus says, look, they're not accepting this from me, so I'm going to commission you. You go out. And they came back and they said, what? Even the demons are subject to us through your name. What name did they use? But that's a common name of the day. There's lots of Jesuses around when Jesus was there. So how is it that that name would work? In the name of Jesus, they commanded demons to come out. He hadn't even gone to the cross yet. name of Jesus. It's not better because he is God. That's the name of Christ. Speaks of his humanity, which is represented by that name. By inheritance, he has attained a more excellent name than the angels. His, he, his inheritance is all things. He has attained something. This is something he did. He has obtained if you obtain something, it's something that you did. It wasn't given to you. He obtained a more excellent name because of the inheritance. But the inheritance is something that he obtained because he had victory down here on the earth. Because he lived for 33 and a half years and did not become subject to sin. Because of that victory, he obtained the inheritance. And he has a more excellent name. His human name, not his divine name. Put in your outline there, we cast out demons and heal sickness and disease through the name of Jesus because of what he obtained or what he accomplished. What is it that we are facing here today? Each of us faces different things. And for us, it seems insurmountable. It seems like I can't figure this out. But there is absolutely nothing that God could not figure out. If he could find a way to take what Adam had given to the enemy and before the time was finished, be able to work this inheritance thing out so that those that are called by the name of Jesus, while they are living in this world, can live like they are heirs of the next. What a phenomenal thing he's able to do. Now, if he can do that for us here, and to, to, to do that in the whole scheme of things. What can he do with your work situation? What can he do with your family situation? What can he do with your money situation? What can he do? But you see, we have to let go of some things. Sometimes we want to say, all right, well, he's going to help me out for this money situation. And uh, something comes to us in the spirit. Oh, I can't do that because I don't have this. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can't do that. I look through the through the Word of God. The woman says, I have this insurmountable debt. Can't pay it. And the prophet says, What do you have? Well, how much? I got a little bit of oil. He says, All right, this is what you do. Go in, close the door, and keep filling containers. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. It won't, it won't fill up much. 
we're out of wine. What should we do? Well, I'll tell you what. Take some of those containers you got, those empty ones that used to hold wine, and fill them up with water. We don't need water. We need, we need wine. You see, if I can't let go of something, I can't embrace what it is he's telling me. I have to begin to let go of some stuff. If God is telling us to go about a certain way, we need to go about it a certain way. We have a hard time even with the, the concept, don't worry or have any anxiety about anything. Mm-hmm. We have a hard time with that. Because when something comes up, wow, oh, no, I'm, this is God. I'm just so worried. This might happen. This might go on. This might be there. Gotta be able to let these things go. What is it that's in your life right now that you have embraced? but it's holding you back from another level. Another level of wisdom, another level of understanding, another level of power, another level of your walk in God. What is it that you are holding on to? You may not even realize you're holding on to it. You just think, well, this is just the way it is. No? No. I've heard people they'll say this, well, yeah, I understand the Bible says I shouldn't be anxious, but it's just my personality. Oh, really? See, I have embraced something and that something is holding me back. i got to let the thing go. Well, I know the Word of God says don't get angry, but, you know, it's just, it's just my personality. Well, I know the Word of God says walk in love, but you don't know. You don't know the people that are in my life. You don't know the people at work. You see, I've embraced something and I won't let that thing go so I can embrace something else. What is it that you're holding on to? Because you're holding on to that, you can't embrace where he wants you to go. And God will sit back there and say, hey, if you want to stay there, you can stay there. But if you want to come to a different level, here you go. And he won't chase after you. And I know that because of the word of God. Now, I'll give you one example of it. There's a certain man that came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to attain a higher level? And Jesus said to him, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but that's what he's asking. What, can, what must I do to attain a higher I'm trying to get to a higher level. I'm not getting there. What must I do to attain a higher level? And he says, well, you know the commandments. And he reads them all off them. I've kept these from my youth. And Jesus looked at him and loved them. And he said, this is what you lack. Go sell what you have. Give it to the poor. And come follow me. And you will have riches in heaven. What happened to the man? He went away sad. Because he could not let go of the concept that he had. I must hang on to these things. I can't just let them go. I need those things. I can't just, can't just let it go. And when he walked away, what did Jesus do? He let him go. See you. Remember that uh, story that Jesus was, was told about Jesus where he was teaching? And he says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part with me? 
All right, now I've meditated on that, that uh, service quite a bit. I'll make sure we're not getting too close to the end here. And I, I'm thinking, it says, all right, in all fairness here, Jesus, did you really expect them to understand that sermon? I mean, what had you taught beforehand that gave them any ability to understand that sermon? Did you really expect them to understand that? Were you teaching that to get them mad so they all leave you? Now, I don't think he would actually do that. But when you look, why did he teach this? What possible good was it going to bring them for now? And doesn't it seem like he just was a bit antagonistic on it? So why was he... And when they came and they questioned him, he didn't say, well, <laughs> let me help you understand this a little bit better. He's not all that easy with them, is he? And they all left. And he turns to his disciples and said, y'all leaving too? He doesn't chase after any of them. And they said the, they said the statement. And if you can get a hold of this statement, folks, I'll tell you, I'll help you out with this, this whole thing we're, we're showing you. Their statement was this. Where are we going to go? You have the words of life. So what they're saying is, we have no idea what you're talking about. We have no concept of what you're trying to teach us. Eat your flesh, drink your blood. Why would we want to do that? We have no idea what you're teaching. But we know this. You have the words of life. And if we keep hanging around, we'll eventually understand what it is you're trying to teach us. So we're not going anywhere. But see, a lot of people react like the crowd. I don't understand why this thing happened. I was believing God and -and so-and-so died. I was believing God and it got worse. I was believing God and it, it just didn't happen. And then they leave because they haven't decided that he has the words of life. And if something happens that I don't understand, I'm still going to hang out here because this is the only place I'm going to figure it out. If you have questions about the Word of God, I can tell you beyond any shadow of a doubt, the reason that you have those questions is because there is something that you are believing as truth that is not. And it's holding you back. But our God is a great God. And He's able to show you that thing that you believe is truth. It's not. Now, if you'll let that go, I'll show you what is. Look at the people in the New Testament that Jesus interacted with. The people that He had trouble with are the people who believe something as truth that was false. If the Pharisees truly believed that Jesus was the Christ, would they have had a problem? They believed something else. Because they believed that, they were even able to entertain the idea of killing him. They were even able on the Sabbath to plot how to kill him. It's amazing if we hang on to certain truths, how it will blind us from others. But God will help us. God will help us. What is it? What is it that you're trying to embrace? Listen to God. 
Let him expose you to the wonderful world of his truth, his wisdom. And if you don't understand something, be like the disciples. I have no idea what you're teaching, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here. And I'm going to listen because eventually I'm going to figure it out. Father, we thank you that you are our God. Your wisdom is so far above ours. And yet sometimes we want to bring you down to our level. You can concoct plans, take things right out from underneath the enemy. Father, you can bring about plans that what we think is impossible to you is a piece of cake. Easy enough to do. Help us, Father, to think of what we face in this world, to think of it the way you think of it, to see it the way you see it, and not to be constantly stuck in our own way. For if our thoughts and our images of what we face bring fear, worry, and anxiety, then our thoughts are not your thoughts. We need to embrace your thoughts because your thoughts bring no fear, no worry, and no anxiety. But other thoughts do. That should be our first clue. We're going the wrong way. I thank you, Father, for your wisdom that can make its home in us just as your Spirit has. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.